Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Coming this summer from Columbia Pictures, a movie that asks the question, would you buy a used car from this man? Oh, here at New Deal Used Cars, we are uh, stripping away inflation. We're taking off those high prices. Or this yeah, man. We have a group of immoral charlatans masquerading as businessmen. They will stoop to the lowest. Hold most it, Roy. Would you buy a used car from this yeah, man? Sign your name. Ray. Uh, or from this man. I want you to look inside. I don't want to look inside. Oh, just get in the car. Get in Well, these people did. Used cars about a group of dedicated businessmen who'll do anything to sell a car. We can't do a commercial wearing these. We'll come off looking like a couple of... $695, you got it. Margaret, let's take a look under the hood, shall we? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> hey, look, Baird. Now wait just a minute, what the hell is this? Is this a 1977 450 SL for $24,000? That's too high! <laughs> Did you notice that? No, that's a violation. Used cars. It's a dirty business. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hey, this is Lou Santiago of Car Fix and GarageInsiderTV.com. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, you can see me, moi, uh, where, oh yeah, down here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us, and if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out Golfstream. no, NostalgicRadioandCars.com, that's where all our, our old shows, our past shows, are, uh, are, are stored. Our, uh, archived. That's the word I was looking at. Archived. Anyway. Hey, Matt, how you doing tonight? 
I'm doing fantastic. And not only can you listen to the audio archives, but you have your YouTube channel as well, so you can see you too. Yes, you can see me. You can see me. Oh, yes. And uh, Hey, listen, you see, I got long hair, right? So tonight, I may be getting a haircut. I'm not sure, but my wife uh, made an appointment with a hairdresser, so I'm in big trouble. So my Goldilocks may be gone after this evening. Anyway, so I'm That's, not excited about that. We should have played that song. I, there was a long hair song. I should have played that, but I forgot. But anyway, all right, so here's the deal. We were. How was your 4th of July, by the way? Oh, it was fantastic. Good, good, good. Did you I'm, go down here and watch some stuff uh, blow up on Coda Beach? Or I did. I saw the fireworks go off from, from newly renovated Coachman Park. You know, I haven't checked that out yet. I have to. I, I need to need to do that. But anyway, all right. How, so here, how we, before we get going, how was your fourth? I forgot to ask. I was fine. It was. I stayed home and hid and hid. I didn't <laughs> want to. There was firecrackers going off all over the place and little bombs bursting in clear air, thin air, or however that. Uh, Bomb, yeah, it's bombs bursting in air. Bombs bursting in air. That's it. Yeah. Anyway, yep. so. But you know, I'm I when I'm not here and I'm not at work, I'm an extremely private person. So right. So you might have you might find me under a rock. That's how private I am. So you know, yeah, the old saying, "Hey, uh, you look up. You can't. You crawl. Would you do crawl out from underneath a rock? You know that cliche type thing." Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Bobby, call in and confirm this, please. <laughs> okay. Speaking of rocks, uh, what did, I? I don't think I talked about this, but a couple of weeks ago, I had to drive up to Barbara Motorsports Park. Did I talk about this? And I had to go uh, do an appraisal on a vehicle up there. Anyway, so naturally, I went uh, junkyarding, you know, and that was kind of fun. And uh, I found some interesting stuff out there. I mean, it's not too often you find. Um, uh, 72nd uh, Gen Camaros sitting in a junkyard. There was not one, not two, not even three. There was four. One was an RS, and it was sitting on top of some giant dumpster thingy. And uh, and the the urethane nose was missing, but the but the sheet metal was all there, and it was original OEM sheet metal, so you know it fit the car. And uh, and then uh, there was some station wagons, some mid '60s stuff. There was a really nice B body in there, '70 had decent fenders. It was a four door car, but you know, so if, so if you got a '70 satellite or Roadrunner or something like that, that that would work. And uh, and then over in one corner was there was some '70, '71, '72 Le Mans's in there. And then there was uh, what else was in there? Oh, a three Grand Prix. There was a 77 Grand Prix in there, a 72, 71 Grand Prix, and a 69, 70 Grand Prix, which I think the 69, 70 is a pretty car. 69 has the really cool door handles. Though. It's got those slide door handles on the inside and the push flip-out deals, on the, which the 70 also had on the exterior, which is really kind of a cool design. Very European. And, uh, and, and some cars actually have that today, but, you know, hey, they had it back then. In fact, they had it before then. In fact, if you look at a 40 Lincoln Continental, they had a push-button door. Which is reminiscent of what a 70, 71 Pantera had, or very similar to uh, 68, 69, 70 Mangusta. And I know Alan's going to call and correct me, but it had a push button thing, and they used to call it the uh, icebox door opener thingy because you push it and the thing pops out. Pretty cool. But anyway, and then there was a whole slew of Chevelles and Monte Carlos, 70 to 72 Monte Carlos. When was the last time we saw those in the junkyard? And the Chevelles. There was two of them that were SS cars because they had the cow hoods. They didn't have the flip open cows, but they had the uh, the, the, the bump hood, and uh, and two of them had the rubber bumper on the back. So two of them were seventies. There was no sheet metal on the front of them, and uh, but you can make out the cars obviously because that was long gone. But so stuff's still out there. It really is, you know. And then over the weekend, what did I do? Over the weekend, this past weekend, that was last weekend. This past weekend, I went over to Waldo, Florida. Oh, actually, on the other side, it's called a place called Keystone Heights. And there's a racetrack over there, but it's uh, it's private, but it's 
you know, you can go over there and you can do like test and tune and driving. So it's called the firm. And uh, we're going to have somebody from the firm come on our show. And uh, basically, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, run what you brung. And it's kind of cool. So uh, the guy out there, big shout out to Mark. Mark let me, or didn't let me, but took me around the track. We just rode around in a forerunner because I got there kind of late. And um, that was kind of interesting. So we might go over there and do something. We might even shoot some videos of some driving. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you're not racing. I think the top speed, well, the fastest you could probably get up to is maybe 75, 80, depending on the car. And, but it's a very technical course. It's tight. There's also a, a go kart track over there. And, um, but you, it's, it's like, it's all about seat time. Seat time. You know, seat time means getting in and driving, you know, and, and learning and getting familiar with the car, car control, things like that. Kind of like autocrossing. Autocrossing was like that, too, which is what I started out doing back in the 70s. And uh, we get out there, and, it, and you're racing really against a clock, a timer, and you make three passes, and you're racing in and out. You're not really racing. You're just driving fast or car control kind of like the uh, whipping in and out of uh, uh, cones. That's probably the easiest way to describe it. You know, sometimes they're in parking lots, sometimes they're on courses. I mean, we've had autocrosses at Sebring, at Daytona, uh, Rhode Atlanta, and McDill Air Force Base before, you know, they, everything changed. And um, so we used to do that with the Shelby Club, with the Ford Mustang Club, with the Porsche Club, and, you know, Sports Car Club. And I actually over at Martin Marietta back in the day in Orlando, which was a lot of fun. So... It's it's fun if you want to look, and it's and it's you know it's I believe it's two hundred and fifty two hundred seventy five dollars a day, and you'll probably get you know five four five hours of track time depending on how many people are there. In the wintertime, obviously when it's cooler, there's a lot more people down. But in the summertime, you know, not too many people can tolerate the heat, so you get a lot of seat time in the summertime. So if you can tolerate it, and you know, you got two fifty air, which is two windows down at fifty miles an hour. That's two fifty air. Um, it could be a lot of fun. And, and really, probably the ideal car you want out there is maybe, you know, something that handles good, like a Mustang, uh, a little bit of power, a Miata, you know, any kind of sports car, anything, you know. Probably wouldn't be a bad idea to make sure you got really good tires, good brakes. Um, you do have to bring a brain bucket, which is a helmet. And if you have an open car, you definitely have to have a roll bar. If you got a closed car, it's not that important. You don't have to worry about a halon system or a fire extinguisher. To, you're not going to do anything crazy. And you're basically racing, running out there uh, in like 15, 20-minute sessions. And there's no passing unless it's a point by on a straightaway. And no passing in the turns, obviously, which is, you know, that's that's normal. That's part of the course. But, you know, it's probably not a bad place to go out and just kind of hone your skills, as they say. And then, of course, down at Sebring, there's another company that shows up all around the country. And it's called Chin Motorsports. I've yet to talk to those guys, but that would be kind of fun. If you have the time and if you have the budget, that's just kind of, you know, because if you start, if you, if you if you got a spare set of tires and your car's in really, really good shape, it's probably not a bad thing to do and go out there and have some fun. And uh, obviously, you want to maintain your cars and stuff like that. But by comparison, in the alternative, you know, if you have a go kart, well, go karts can get four, five, six thousand dollars. You can get pretty expensive, and and then you're getting really your you you psychologically you get really really competitive, and you think, hey, well, I can go out there and I can beat this guy. And let me tell you about how racing works. It's a game of attrition, and it's also a game of cubic dollars. So that's why I said if you go to like the firm or if you do something with Chin. Um, you get to drive at your pace, at your level, uh, preferably in your car, at your comfort. And, you know, you don't have to push it. You just go out there. It's just all about seat time and just, you know, kind of putting the, putting the car and putting yourself through the paces. 
That's and that's kind of fun. It keeps you off the street and you're doing stupid stuff. Of course, that's what I was always told. But anyway, um, that was that. And then, of course, I hit a couple of. Uh, uh, well, you know, I'm kind of one of those barn find kind of guys. You know, I like checking stuff out. So I was driving around and. Uh, you know, you I, I, on, a, on a weekend, every, it's hard because a lot of places aren't open. But there was a guy that I met up in, um, I think it's called Lati. Lati, yeah, it's just north of Stark. And uh, I think his name was Bill, so big shout out to Bill. And Bill basically bought an old souvenir stand and just started acquiring cars. And he had, actually, had a couple second-gen Camaros in there. And he had some old Fords. And he had uh, some trucks, a lot of Ford pickup trucks. And one vehicle that he had in there that was really, really interesting, and I don't know much about it. I don't even know if I can pronounce the name right. But it rhymes with Massachusetts, and it's Winnachusetts or Wanachusetts or something like that. And it was made someplace up north, possibly New York, New England. I'm not sure. i got to get the details on it. And it's a truck. And this particular one... It's really weird. It's got these sliding doors that are on rollers, like a barn door. That's how you get in and out of this cab. And it's pretty much all wood, which is the way it was. And, and the vehicle was built sometime between 2000, uh, 1914 and 1916. So every once in a while, I stumble on something really, really kind of unusual. And I have pictures of it, and I need to put it on on my uh, trusty Facebook page, which be sure and check out our Facebook pages, Gulfstream Motorsports, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and then our good friends over there, Fast Lane Travel, for our driving tours. Which brings me to a driving tour that we're working on, possibly in October, end of October, and we're thinking about doing a driving tour up in the Carolinas, which would entail a little spin through the Dragon, Tail of the Dragon, coming back maybe on the Rattler, which is equally as much fun. Uh, and then going down to uh, Dawsonville, awesome Bill from Dawsonville, Bill Elliott. They have a Georgia um, race car hall of fame there, and it's the Moonshine Festival. So there's a lot of really cool stuff going on that time of year in the fall. So I've never done that. I've always wanted to do that, so we may be doing that. So if I do, I will post that, obviously. And uh, we, the places that we're looking to stay at would be the uh, Lake Lanier Legacy Lodge, which is right on the lake at Lake Lanier, which is very beautiful. I've stayed there before with my family. And then the Brasstown Valley Resort, which is up in uh, Youngstown, right around the corner from Hiawassa. That's also a beautiful place. We've stayed there before. And then, of course, if the ridge is available, the ridge, which is in Hiawassa, right on the lake as well, which I've stayed at, and a very nice hotel. And uh, pretty nice um, accommodations and just a lot of fun. I mean, there's, you know, Carolina's Georgia. They've got some great roads up there. I mean, I was buzzing around over here on the other side of Florida over, well, like I said, I went over there on the other side of 301. The back roads behind Gainesville, up around uh, Lake Butler in that area, and there are some pretty cool roads, but um, but they're nothing like they they're just they're they they little little few little bumps you know, but there's really not no uh, up and down terrain or topos topography like you would have at um, uh, up in the Carolinas. Oh yeah, that reminds me also. Then shout out to my friends over there at Atlanta Motorsports, um, Jeremy Porter and those guys, because we may be going doing a little stint over at. Uh, at uh, Atlanta Motorsports on their track. Um, a May event that we're talking about would take us out to, um, what's the place called? Oh, Barber Motorsports. And they have a track. And so we'll do, do a little, maybe some driving on the track. That was a little bit more controlled there. 
and uh, and then they have a proving ground, which is basically where they do some autocrossing and skid pads and stuff like that. So we might be able to do that as well. So anyway, little things that I'm working on besides my normal run-of-the-mill stuff, which is if anybody needs appraisals on classic and antique cars, that's my job. Diminished value and total losses, and so on. And I think on that note, it's probably time for me to 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 button it up a little bit and let's play a song, and then we're going to have our special guest uh, come on our show, and we're going to be doing part two with a previous guest. So you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We're going to play a little mountain. Now, everybody knows Leslie West did Mississippi Queen, but Mountain also did a whole bunch of other songs, too. So the one we're going to play tonight is Nantucket Sleigh Ride, right? Is that what you got queued up for us? Yes, sir, it it's is. It's actually kind of a cool song. And the guy that wrote this song, I can't pronounce his last name, uh, he actually wrote, him and his uh, girlfriend back in the day, wrote some music for uh, Cream. For Clapton and Ginger Baker and uh, Jack Bruce. So, oh, wow. So these guys are pretty talented. This is a good song. It's all Nantucket Sleigh Ride. It's a little different. It's a little uh, 60s psychedelic, kind of like, you know, and we're into that here. So anyway, so drop the needle in the groove and let's fire that baby up and uh, don't touch that doll. We'll be right back. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Well done, Matt. Very good. All right, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and my trusty uh, production engineer there did a great job again. And uh, thank you, sir. Pardon me. All I said was thank you, sir. Oh, okay. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. I always give good compliments where compliments are deserved. So anyway, anyway, it's time to introduce our special guest. This is part two with our good friend and uh, classic car, or let's say car designer and builder, Chuck Miller. Chuck, how you doing again this evening? Oh, I'm doing great. How about you, Robert? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I played a little mountain there. I don't know if you caught that song, but I, you know, he Leslie West passed away here a while back. We actually reached out to him. We tried to get him on our show, but I'm sure you listened to him back in the day. He was from up uh, of the northern part of the world, I think, over in New York or side. But anyway, mm-hmm. yep. So, 
where we leave off last time, we were talking. We uh, we started to talk a little bit about the Corvette. So tell us the story about the Corvette. Corvette, since we're on the subject of music, and the and I and you know it's funny because I was trying to find some stuff because the Funk Brothers, okay, which Ted Nugent always refers to as, um, was basically a big, well-known sessions band out of Detroit, and ultimately they a lot of them went out the, out west. But you uh, actually was uh, acquainted with one of the band members. And uh, you did a, the drummer, I, if I remember correctly, and you did uh, a vehicle for him. So tell us the story. Well, uh, we'll go back to probably '71, uh, right in there. Uh huh. Um, um, Ural Jones was his name. Okay. He has since he has since passed, but he was the drummer for the original Funk Brothers. And he w- he lived close to me in Detroit, to, near to my shop. I was in River Rouge. Well, he was real close to there. Anyways, he had a 68 Corvette. And he came to me one time to do a little work on it, touch up, whatever it was. And he says, boy, I just, I don't know what to do. And I said, what's the problem, Ural? And he says, well, I'm out of town a lot, you know, on sessions and concerts and what have you with, you know. He did a lot of backup work for uh, Motown mm-hmm. at the time. So um, he says, I always have to use a buddy's van or station wagon or rent something or whatever, and I got to get another car or something or another. Oh, excuse me. So I said, well, why don't we uh, make your vet into a wagon? And he just kind of looked at me like, what? So I says, yeah, you know, we could make it into a station wagon. You could put your drums in the back and you could drive your Corvette all the time then. Well, he was all for that. Well, what would it look like? And I said, well, why don't we get some renderings made up and see what you think? You know, yeah, yeah we'll go with it. He says, okay. So I contact a good friend, Harry Bradley in California. So I told him what I wanted to do, the whole story about Ural. And uh, he says, yeah, let me whip up some drawings and see what, what he likes. Well, he came back with the, with the drawings and... Um, <coughs> That started the whole thing. And so he says, yeah, go ahead and do it. So we started uh, mocking up, you know, the, the body and everything for the Corvette. Well, in the meantime, he's, before we started on it, he smacked the front end of it. So uh-huh. he busted the front end. So we had to do some work on that. So Harry made some drawings for that. So, um, let's see, July 72. Okay, so we get started on it, and we started doing clay modeling and clay on the roof and the front end and um, a lot of work to it. And we had it done for uh, Detroit Autorama 72. So, uh, and then, in fact, uh, took it to a couple shows, and uh, it was on the cover of Car and Driver in 72, July, I think it was. So anyways, that started the Corvette fad, if you will, of station wagon. And after it came out in Car and Driver, I had letters, back then it was letters, um, (laughs) from, you know, no emails, no messages, it was letters written. And I had letters from all over the country. People, I gotta have one of those. How much are the kits? Uh, If I had that, it would save my marriage. And, oh, just everything. Wow. Yeah, because you could put your groceries in the back and, you know, 
I I had a couple myself. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, I sold kits, and it was a roof, a floor, uh, windows, and side moldings, or the moldings to go around the windows. And I was shipping kits, you know, all over the place. Um. But yeah, it it was it was practical, and like I say, I had I don't know two or three myself, and then I would build one and sell it, and find another vet and convert it and sell that one. So how did did the did the did the back window did it have like a flip up hatch? I mean, how did you put stuff in the cargo area? The first ones they were fixed. Okay. All three windows were fixed. Okay. And then when they came out in, what was it, 374, uh, they came out with the rubber bumper in the back. Right. And and I had a, I made a, a back window that did open. Oh, okay. And there was a hatch, and you could open up the back and put your groceries, luggage, whatever, in right from the back. And that window flowed right into that rubber bumper in the back, you know, the, the profile of it. it. It looked really, really good. Well, now, if he had all his drum equipment... He had to slide that slide his seats forwards and slide it into the cargo area. Is that what he did? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he was determined. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that that car was known as the drum buggy. The drum buggy. Okay. The drum buggy, and um, in the grill, it had a different nose on it. The whole front clip was different, and uh, it had like a mouth with CB headlights and all of that. Well, for the grill. I put uh, it was a expanded metal mesh and uh-huh. then a and a drum stick and a brush for the grill. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, so that made it the drum buggy. The drum buggy. Did they ever make a model of that by any chance? No. Well, I won't say no, but Matchbox had a Corvette wagon from which they say, "Oh no, that was our design." Yeah. Okay. Fine. But uh, <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't copy anything. Oh no, no, no. That was our design. So tell that, that went side. Yeah. Take us through the process. You use the term clay modeling. Now I've had uh, Pete Brock's been on my show a bunch of time. They all talk about clay modeling, but when you're talking about it, in this particular case, are you talking about taking the wrecked Corvette, the actual Corvette? And mm-hmm. clay modeling that, or did you have to build a replica clay model, and that's what you use as your basis to to basically, you know, get make molds and things of that nature? Well, no. With the drum buggy, we actually had the car. Okay. So okay, from there we know we're going to cut the whole back end of it out, like on a Corvette. That's where the gas tank was up in the top on the deck. Right. We know that's going to get cut out, so we didn't care about hurting it. Okay. So we uh, made the back end out of plywood, just a rough idea of how it would be with it in plywood. Then on top of that, you use uh, styrofoam. The styrofoam like um, uh, a florist uses. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that you can shred like with a cheese grater, uh-huh. you can you can form it for your hard cell. Like you get these sheets at Home Depot that you put on your garage door for insulation. They're pink and stuff like that. You don't use that because that's hard to shred. Ah, oh, okay. Okay, so you use the floral styrofoam, and you put that on the the, the plywood with the construction adhesive. Okay, uh-huh. so so that dries. 
then you just take a cheese grater, and I'm sure you know what that is, yep. like for doing bondo work and bondo, stuff yep, like yep, that. Yep, yep. Well, you take a cheese grater, and you can cheese grade the whole thing to where you get it real close to what you want, you know, from the side view, back view, top, everything. And uh, you cheese grate it to where it looks like you want. But it is maybe, oh, a half inch smaller than it's going to be. Now, you take uh, modeling clay, just like the clay they use at the companies, 4GM, all of them. And it's modeling clay. It's kind of a brownish color. Is it very soft and, you, and pliable? When you put it in an oven, yes. Oh, when you put it in an I oven. Have, yes, I have a clay oven. Okay. From which you could use anything. You could make an oven. Uh, if you're doing a small job at home, somebody for your doing something on, at home, you could make a, a put a cardboard box and a light bulb in it, as far as that goes. And it would get hot enough to make the clay pliable. Because when it's cold, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard. It's a it's a hard piece of clay. But when you heat it up, it softens it. And you would soften it up to be, let's just say, kind of like a firm mashed potatoes. Okay. It's it's pliable. You put it on with your hands, and you just smear it into the styrofoam. And when it cools, that's when it gets hard, and then you shape it with uh, uh, clay tools. Uh, scrapers or shredders, you could shred it as well, like with the cheese grater, you know, to get it the shape you want in clay. And then there are special tools that uh, you use to get it really slick. I mean, there a lot of the tools you, you pretty much make yourself. You can get some hobbyists that they you, they have a kit you can buy, but a lot of the tools, they're, they're handmade for a particular uh, area that you want to work. Well, you just make a tool to scrape that or to form it. Now, so, no. so yeah, go ahead. do you have to be, it seems to me, because I've seen, uh, you know, uh, of, of, of pictures of clay vehicles, you know, at the either Ford, GM, or Chrysler at the design centers and stuff like that. And it seems but, to me that you've got to have a pretty artistic eyeball to be able to to create these vehicles mm-hmm. like that. And so obviously you're looking at a rendering and then you're taking that what you see on the on the on the drafting table and then you're recreating that. And 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 so that process, you know, it's just like all the other stuff that you do. I mean, so it seems to me that I mean, you really are uh, an artiste. Uh, I, I guess you could say that if you will, but yeah. Yeah, you have you have to have a good eyeball. That's for sure. You know, um from side to side, you know, um, you have to make patterns. Like you get one side really the way you like it. You know mm-hmm. that looks good. I like the the, the shape, uh, the radius. You know all of this, and now you start making patterns, templates, and go to the other side, and that's that's how you do it. Naturally, they don't do it like that now in the company. It's all old computered and all of this CNC'd. But uh, back then. That's how you did it by hand, and you just make patterns and templates. So the patterns and templates, what were they? Uh, out of like a cardboard or an, another type of medium, other other type of paper, or you know something firm like? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, whatever works for you. That's it. Truthfully, you know, like cardboard. Uh, I don't want to say corrugated. That's hard hard to cut and everything. What really works well is like, um, oh geez, cardboard of a, a cereal box. That's a stiff. 
cardboard. Okay. You know, and you cut it, cut it with the scissors, and you make a pattern. You're not doing anything with it other than holding it to see if it matches the other side. So, and there are you know, use poster board too. That's a good oh yeah, poster board, cardboard, yeah, poster right. board. Um, but I've used whatever you have. Truthfully, it works. But you want a stiff cardboard, but not corrugated so much. So, the time-wise, the process to do to 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 construct that car. I mean, to take it from the drawing to build the clay model, and and then to and then what do you do? You somehow how do you create the mold for that for that car based off the clay? Okay, well, um, you can do a how many you're going to make? Well, you're going to make just one or two. You can use plaster as a mold. Uh, that's just typical. It's just plaster. You mix it up with water, and uh, it's in the consistency. Say the same thing again is a, a, a mashed potatoes. Okay. Smear over the clay, and um, and then when that hardens, you could say there's your mold. Okay. But. Uh, a big part you have to use uh, it's hemp what you use so you mix up a, a, a really weak batch or a thin batch of plaster and you take this hemp and you make like a, a bird nest and then you saturate it and saturate it then you put that on top of that plaster you just put on and that gives it some stiffness some body to where it's not going to break if you had a big piece of plaster and you're trying to take it off of the Play, you could bust it. I got so you. So you use you use this hemp. I mean, it would be like straw. Right. You could use straw if you had to, you know. But something that you can saturate to put on top of that first layer of plaster, okay. and not, but that harden it gets hot it, to touch it. It gets hot because it's thick, mm-hmm. and you let it sit overnight or whatever. And the next day, you wedge whatever you can, like paint sticks or something like that, between the clay and the plaster not to hurt it, and then it will pop off, and now you have a mold. And you have to clean up the clay and any residue that's in it. That's basically uh, your your plaster mold, and that's good depending on how big it is. Sometimes you can get three or four parts, and depending on how intricate it is and it's really tight areas, uh, because when you start that plaster mold, you're going to maybe rip the mold. Um, and naturally, you have to repair that. So that's how you do a plaster mold. And you could do the same thing if you wanted to do a fiberglass mold. You would just use your resin and fiberglass instead of your uh, plaster. Interesting. Same idea. Same idea, but with the, with the fiberglass one, you can pull more parts out of it because it's more durable and it's not going to chip around the edges. When you try to take the part out of the mold, um, I was going to tell you you're breaking up a little bit, so I don't know where you're at in your building there or anything like that. But I just thought I'd bring that up. But okay, so let's go back. Nope. To, let us yep. go back to the mold. So like, okay, so if you're doing fiberglass, you've got to basically like spray it with a gel coat and then put the and then do you do is it like a mat and then resin over that or so it's basically the same yeah. process as a boat. Same thing. Okay. Uh, any, if you're making a boat, okay. So now here you have your fiberglass mold. Okay, uh, you you seal it. You wax the mold to where it's, you know, the part will come out of the mold. So you wax it. Um, then you spray in your um, 
gel coat, <clears throat> brush it in, whatever, whichever part you're making, but you spray in your gel coat, and that gets tacky enough, and then you come in behind that, and you lay in your cloth or your mat. Your mat, <coughs> excuse me, your mat is, um, oh, uh, you can uh, you can pull it apart, spread it apart, it pulls apart. You can pull mat apart with your hands to where cloth it's woven. Okay. And there's a little a little more strength to cloth, but you have to cut it with scissors or uh, a utility knife, something like that. So a lot of times parts are just made out of the mat. It's easier to work with. Okay. Did you mm-hmm. was this this uh, co- this fiberglass um, station wagon panel that you built mm-hmm. basically? Yep. Did you patent that at all? I mean, because I remember we were talking a little bit, and you said uh, other people got it, you know, and, yep. and they copied yep. it, and then you know that kind of spoiled it yep. for you a little bit. Well, yeah, I did go through. I thought it was a good idea. Put a patent on it. Okay. So I talked to an attorney, a patent attorney, mm-hmm. and naturally I asked. Uh, we lost you. You there? Okay. Got me. Okay. Got me now. Yeah, I got you now. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just just sitting there. So, anyways, uh, you ever know of an attorney that says no, you don't have a case? Of course not. You know, so he said, "Oh, yeah, we can patent that and you know secure it and all of that." Well, that's when I think it was Matchbox came out with that uh, Matchbox Corvette station wagon. Uh-huh. So I go to him. I say, what do we do? And it was basically, well, good luck. I oh. mean, here, Mattel, you know, Matchbox, they've got room full of attorneys. <laughs> okay. And they got deep pockets. So it's one of those things you just forget it. It was called an idea patent to where you try to patent this idea. But all you got to do is change a couple things and, it's useless. I gotcha. I gotcha. So it wasn't worth the money to get a patent. Yeah. So did you do any other custom stuff very similar to that? I mean, on the same concept, you know, like modifying cars that became kind of a fad, if you will? I mean, you can obviously take credit for that because you did the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we, we talked about it the last time. Did I mention the Elegant Beetle? No, no, no. Talk about that. Ele- that wait a minute, a- Elegant Beetle. Elegant Beetle. We're talking Volkswagen Bug, right? Elegant there Beetle. There you go. Okay, the go beetle. ahead. All right. Okay. Well, um, A&A Fiberglass, they were located in Atlanta at the time, Georgia. And they wanted to get involved with uh, the car show stuff. And I think we talked the last time about the Sonic Cuda, how that was a giveaway car. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, A&A Fiberglass, they wanted to do something and be involved with the shows, so they came up with the idea of a um, Volkswagen Rolls-Royce. Okay? Oh, okay. I remember those in the 70s. (laughs) Okay. But now here you go. This is the twist. Okay. We had drawings made up. Everyone wanted to look like, send them back to A&A. They approved it, and we went with it. Okay. Now, the one that everybody think, oh, I've seen one of those, it was a Rolls-Royce hood, and that's it, on a Beetle. Okay, right? that was common. That's what I saw mostly, yes. Yeah, and they also had, I think, a 40 Ford hood with a grill. Okay. I, I remember that also. Okay, well, this one, we went a little farther. We made a hood with the grill, with the flying lady, 
We made uh, front fenders with four headlights. Um, below the headlight was a small vent, just like a Rolls Royce. On the back end, we made, uh, and all of this was a clay model first, we made uh, rear fenders, a deck lid, and a tail pan underneath where the exhaust comes through. Well, the deck, the deck lid, it was uh, not just uh, flat down like a regular Volkswagen with the little vents in it. This one was, I guess you could maybe call it a bustle. You know, it had a hump on the back, a trunk. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and then A&A sold these kits. Well, the first one, it was a giveaway for the ISCA. So that car was given away, and I painted it uh, black, charcoal, with a wine-colored interior. Oh. And it was very classy-looking, two-tone, black and silver, charcoal. Anyway, so they just started pumping out these kits, selling kits all over the country. And I had a, a Volkswagen dealer here that I was converting brand-new Volkswagens for them, and they would put them in their showroom, sell and they'd send me another brand-new Volkswagen, and I'd put a kit on it. Okay, well, Rolls-Royce, they get a hold of this. <laughs> they hear about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, in mag- it's in magazines and what have you. And they were selling these kits for a couple, couple years. So Rolls-Royce back then, letters, no emails, they send them a letter that said, um, you're getting too close to us. I think you should. We suggest you stop making these kits. So, A and A fiberglass. Oh boy, look at this! Here's our little company here in Georgia, and here's this big company wanting us to quit. They just ignored it and kept making them. Okay. So, however long later, Rolls Royce, another letter, said we're serious. Either you don't stop, either you stop, or we'll take legal action. So they figured, well, what the heck, you know, the sales were, you know, starting to go down some, and not selling as many as they were. So they figured, out oh, what the heck, we'll just quit. So they quit making them. Well, all of the flying ladies on the grill, A&A, used to get those from J.C. Whitney. Huh. You can't even, you can't get one at, AG, at J.C. Whitney anymore. They pulled them from there, too. No kidding. Yeah, so... If anybody has one of those flying ladies, uh, you're not going to get one at J.C. Whitney. Keep it, because it could be worth something. At collector's yeah. item, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but they made them quit. Um, let me ask you this. Okay, so A&A yeah. Fiberglass out of Atlanta. Now, I'm mm-hmm. obviously, you remember Dean Jeffries, and then Dean Jeffries <laughs> came out with his really cool, I think, and, of course, we had Bruce Myers on here, too. So, you know, he oh, did yeah. the original Myers-Manx. But Jeffries <laughs> did this really cool-looking uh, dune buggy that was kind of futuristic-looking a little bit and had sides mm-hmm. on it. It was really neat. And yep. he didn't make—and I can't—there's a name for it, but I can't remember the name because there's actually a following for those as well. But there was a company in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta or somewhere near there, that made a quasi-replica— just like, and Bruce Myers and I had this discussion too because he said the same thing. You know, everybody copied the the Myers Max, the Doom buggy, right? And there's like a million of them out there. So the same thing that happened to him happened to you, obviously. So this company, and there's a company that was somewhere outside of Atlanta that built these fiberglass Doom buggies, 
and they have they look similar to the I think the coyote is what Dean Jeffries called his the coyote maybe if that I rings a bell so. and uh, uh-huh. so they were they were similar but the headlights were a little bit different in the back and I remember being in Alabama I can't remember which town it was some little small town and I was in uh, cruising the back alleys in the industrial areas and there was one sitting behind a fence now back in those days everybody either put a Corvair motor in it or a Volkswagen engine in it but there was one sure. back there but anyway so this A&A fiberglass I don't know do you w- could have they been the same company that did when they were doing the fiberglass for the Volkswagens could have they been doing dune buggy bodies as well does that ring a bell is there any connection there yeah, I'll just say possibly for me to say, oh, yeah, they did, I can't, not honestly. But okay. who knows? They, they could have been doing them. But another one, too, I think, was Dick Dean. Didn't he have one? Yes, yes, yes. He did. And that had, had gull-wing doors, I think, on it. Yeah, and then, of course, the Bradley GT and and, and, oh, yeah. and the Kelmark and, and all that other stuff. Well, did you ever get involved in any of those? Do any dune buggies and weird stuff like that? No, just a couple of dune buggies that I built for myself and friends, but nothing serious, no. Okay. No. Mm-mm. So you're working on the Zingers, and uh, now the, 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 the Zingers, we're talking about clay models now, did, did, mm-hmm. did they yeah. come off? Did, they, did their life begin as a clay model and then wind up being? Absolutely. Okay. They were, they were all clay modeled to where... I'm looking at one right now here in my shop. Um, you just say you take uh, an engine is roughly, let's just say, a conversation two feet long. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you look at uh, the model. Uh, hold the Volkswagen in your hand or put it on a table. Look. Well, that, that motor is two feet long. Well, that hood is just about as long as that motor is. So <laughs> now there's two more feet. Yeah. And you look at the back and there's another two. Well, geez, that body's six feet long. Okay, so now you use those dimensions, and you do the same thing. You maybe make it up out of plywood, just a rough idea, roughly shape-wise. Put styrofoam on it and start whittling, start carving it, claying it, and do the same process as the the Corvette wagon. But uh, you started with that little model. And then, naturally, back then... A Volkswagen or a Corvette, geez, there's one on every corner. You go out and take measurements off of it uh-huh. and do the same thing. Yeah. So for the guys that just tuned in, uh, we're mm-hmm. talking with uh, Chuck Miller, and he's a well-known car designer and car builder out of Detroit. And he's got a lot of really cool stuff, uh, you know, uh, claims to his name, so to speak. And, of course, obviously we're just talking about the Corvette. We're talking about the Zingers and then the Sonic Cuda and the um, – and uh, oh. My, the, the last one, the one that just sold. What was the name of that one? Uh, the RTS Cuda. The Rapid, RTS, Trans- Rapid Transit Cuda, yeah. So, yep. so like these, so back in the day, so if you had to do, let's say, like the Zingers, how much time from start to finish did it take you to create the body? And obviously they were done off, off renderings, right? And did, did Harry Bradley do those too? Did he design the, the Zingers for you? No, those were Dennis. Johnson, oh, okay. uh, yeah, he, he, he originally came up with the idea of these little crazy little models, and then Bob Larrabee saw them and decided, hey, let's make the real ones, and that's when MPC got aboard and started making kits. Okay, all right. Yeah, but as far as, say, the, the Volkswagen, the first one, 
you could just about, well, everybody had a Volkswagen back then. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one on the corner of parking lot, or you just take measurements off of it and just go from there and just start uh, making the clay models and patterns and templates and go from one side to the other. Now, you're, the tires, you're, tires you're, and wheels were full size. Right. Uh, yeah. And the engines and the engines, you basically said, were even though they were full-size engines, they had some external components on them, but they were basically dummy motors, right? They were gutted. There was no guts in them, no crank, pulley, nothing, nothing at all, because back then, in the 70s, they were real engines, mm-hmm. and they were heavy. So yeah. you try to gut them as much as you can to make them light to, to move the, the, the zinger around, the car around. And you made a, a tongue in the front. You pull it around like a wagon, but they were still heavy. But now the ones that I'm recreating right now, the ones that I built originally, now you have these composite engines. You know, there's a, 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 a stiff foam, mm. if you will, a block. They're mock-up engines. And uh, you use those, but they're spot on. So that's what I'm using now on these zingers. But the blowers and valve covers and injection, all of that, that's real. That's all real stuff. But the blowers, they're gutted as well, just to keep it lighter. So what's the goal with these cars? Are you, are you building these for your own personal collection, or are you, is this something you plan on putting on, on, uh, on tour, so to speak? Um, well, these particular ones, um, I'm trying to build the four that I built originally. Right. I just like to have four for myself. Okay, and uh, like I mentioned before, I I like them, but unless somebody loves them, well, they could <laughs> go on. The, yeah, you know, they could be sold. But yeah. Okay. And, uh, but I I that that's what I've been doing, and I I say I'm in therapy right now because that's what it is. It's therapy to keep working, doing something. So I got to keep busy. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we got a few minutes left here. So what I wanted yeah. to ask you is: Have you ever decided, or were there any thoughts on putting together a book, or what is there a project that you're kind of like in the back of your mind thinking, you know, I'd really like to do this. I got all the time in the world right now, and uh, I got my own little shop. Um, this is what I want to do. Anything like that? Well, I did have a book. Oh, you did? Yeah, in 2010, I. Uh, wrote a book on myself and a couple, well, there were six of us on a team putting together this book. And it was Chuck Miller's Styline Custom. And that was in 2010. Well, in 2010, I was a builder of the year at Detroit Autorama. Oh. And during, for that show, that's when we came out with the book. And at the show, I had dove probably a, about 10, 12 of my cars that I had built over the years, they were on display there. The Zingers were there, the Red Baron, the fire truck, uh, a Corvette wagon, and just a lot of the cars that I had done. And that's when I came out with the book. Well, I think uh, I had it up until about 15, and that's when they were all sold. No so, more books. But, yeah. But you can still, in fact, somebody told me they saw them on eBay, you know, somebody selling one or two. Yeah. So they're still out there. They just have to look for it. Chuck Miller Styline Custom. Oh, wow. Super, super. Well, I have to keep my eyeballs off of that. All right, Chuck, we're uh, up against the clock right now. But real quick, if you don't have a website, you have a website, right, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you, how do they go about doing it? Well, they could uh, message me. They could email me. 
Uh, right now, we're redoing my website, so don't do not do that. But okay. you could email me at chuckmillerskyline at gmail.com. Super. Now, any plans yep. to come to any events in Florida? Any big car shows in Florida by any chance? Not right now that I know of in Florida. Uh, it, uh, b- b- real quick, uh, in Chicago, it's the McCacken yes. show. That is the week uh, November. Before, Thanksgiving, yes. before Thanksgiving, and all four of the RTS cars are going to be there this year. Super, super. Well, I'll plan on being there, and we can sit around and chat. I look forward to it. Yep, I'll be there for that. And uh, But that's the, the next one that I'm, I'm really familiar with. That would be that one. Okay, super. Maybe you can drag a zinger along. And, you know, and, we're, and we're not talking Dolly Madison's here. We're talking, you know, real world zinger cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, Chuck, it's been a yeah. real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on board again. We truly enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely stay in touch and look forward to seeing you at uh, the McCacken. The muscle car, no, is it muscle car and Corvette Nationals? Is that what it is? Something like yeah. that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's in Chicago at Rose. Yep, at the Rosemont. Anyway, all right. Well, Chuck, you take care. Have a great summer, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, and uh, you do the same, and be well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in with us here at Nostalgia Radio and Cars. And uh, our special guest this evening, Chuck Miller, part two. And uh, don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the what's it, Talk Radio Network for the most legendary and fascinating games in motorsports. Guys, get out there and drive some cars. Check out these places. Check out the firm. Check out Chin Motorsports. Go out there and have some fun. And, uh, you know, and of course, you know, we got a couple drag strips around here, too. So get out there and burn some rubber. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. <laughs>